Welcome to the Stakeholders Podcast, the show where we try to answer the question, what's at stake? We dive into how an organization's pursuit of their objectives affect or are affected by the people. Our guests come from the private industry, government, education, and more to discuss how they manage with their stakeholders in mind to achieve long-term success. Today, we're joined by Priya Cook, a green schoolyard consultant for the Children and Nature Network. Priya, thank you so much for being a guest today. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, I am a first-generation Indian-American woman, a third culture kid, a self-identified biophiliac conservationist and mother, among other things. And I began my career focused on educational equity, first as a teacher in the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, and then Alaska, and then Washington, D.C. I'm probably a poster child for liberal arts education, having obtained my undergraduate degree from the University of Notre Dame in Great Books, and my master's in public policy from the LBJ School at the University of Texas. Right now, my work is at the nexus of people and nature. I've done a lot of work on outdoor youth development and currently working, as you said, as a consultant on green schoolyards at the Children and Nature Network. That's actually really cool that you've taught in what sounds like four different states. <laughs> I've taught, I haven't taught in all of them. I was a teacher in two of them, but kept working on educational issues in all those places. Yeah. And what drives you to travel around so much and to actually live in so many different places? Because it must be difficult. Like there has to be some <laughs> purpose that you follow. Yeah, well, I mean, I think part of it is, um, you know, I mentioned earlier, I am a third culture kid. So uh, my parents immigrated to the United States themselves. And so, and then we lived when I was growing up, I lived for 11 years in Singapore. So a very urban, small island nation. Um, obviously, I was I was born in the United States, so I've lived a lot of different places and getting to witness and be part of many different cultures and uh, especially my love of nature, certainly seeing all these different places that vary both in terms of culture, but ecology and landscape uh, is something I love. I like to do with my own children as well. It is a very noble goal. And I mean, traveling around really allows you to understand the amounts of people, types of people that there are in the world. Because I feel like if you're kind of stuck in a specific geographical location, you only met with a very specific type of people. Yeah, that's right. And I've, I've been really fortunate to get to know people in so many different circumstances, with different homes, different values, different lifestyles. And it's something I love. And I, I, in some ways, I sometimes feel like I don't have the one place I can say is my hometown. But on the other hand, I, I truly feel like I have managed to feel at home everywhere I've ever been. And I feel like that's, that's a gift. Yeah, that's really interesting you bring that up because I remember reading about, I want to say Alexander Hamilton. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a natural, he was born in Jamaica, right. uh, I believe. And he was, you know, he became such a big part of the U.S. government early on. And the reason that they believe that Washington brought him so much was because he wasn't born to a specific mm-hmm. state. And he actually thought that that brought more of a empathy to the whole people instead of just to like Virginia or New York or wherever he might sure, have Sure, yeah, being less mired in your own, maybe your singular perspective. I could, I could see that. 
Yeah. So sorry. I don't know if that perfectly equates to kind of like what you went through, but it kind of connected for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I kind of like want to hear like a little bit more about like these projects you've been working on specifically. I know you're very involved with um, the uh, urban heat dispersion and like stormwater runoff and like parks that you're trying to create. Um, but I know there's more that I'm missing that I'd love to hear about. Sure. So uh, in my current work on green schoolyards, our vision is to achieve district-wide, equity-based, open-access green schoolyards in all U.S. communities by 2050. And um, like you said, that has a lot of different positive impacts. Uh, Some of those would include that every child, family, neighbor, resident of a community would have access to nature for enjoyment and for learning and play and growth. It would also mean, right, a change to the physical environment. So you know, an increase in equitable access to natural spaces means relief for people and the environment from the effects of things like urban heat islands and improved quality of critical resources, such as our waterways on which our health and all life depend. And so it's interesting. It's a clear and specific vision, but I feel like in, you know, in a single schoolyard, there are just so many, many benefits to uh, a community and and all kinds of life, even beyond people who are part of a community. Yeah, there really is. And there's all these stakeholders are working together in this community to achieve some kind of a goal, some kind of like, like the yin and yang mm-hmm. type of like uh, working together. Yeah. When you're talking about urban mm-hmm. heat island, what are the factors that come into play with that and how would the green schoolyards help prevent that? Sure. So there's a lot of a lot of organizations and really you know talented people who um, have studied the effects of urban heat islands. And what an urban heat island is basically is, um, of course, with development and the growth of cities and more asphalt and more paved places, many of us you know, reside in, in cities where you might, you know, we almost in many places, right, have less forest, more deforested areas, less tree canopy, less of the benefits that come along with having that, including the quality of air that we breathe, including shade in really hot summer months. So I live in Washington, D.C. And, um, you know, the parts of the city that, that, don't have proximity to large parks or don't have tree-lined streets and instead have, you know, these black tarred roads and parking lots and, and pavement, um, you know, there's a difference in the temperature, in the very, very local temperature, even within the city. And so, of course, that impacts certain neighborhoods and certain people more than others. And so whenever there's Um, discussion of investment in tree canopy or even, you know, the work that city um, transportation departments might do to plant trees as we do in Washington, D.C. Any place that where there's public land or even private land and programs that support improving tree canopy, um, you know, that's something that can have a lot of health impacts and environmental impacts for people and and other life in the city. Yeah, absolutely. And and it makes a lot of sense why it would. Um, And, and, you know, 
I was reading an article where they brought up a very good point that, I mean, some kids, nature to them might mean Central Park. And out here in California, for me, that means hiking in the middle of nowhere in uh, Los Padres or Tahoe, whatever else Mm -hmm. it may be. It's crazy the different perspectives that there are. Sure. Yeah. Sometimes we talk about, I mean, I am, I'm like you, I'm someone who also enjoys, you know, the big nature and the big landscapes, but we talk about kind of backcountry nature and then also backyard nature, um, nearby nature. When, when you think about the daily routines of people, most of us are not so lucky as to, you know, be out in the wilderness in our regular day-to-day lives, but, you know, for, residents of a community even there's benefits even in just walking down a sidewalk that has trees there's studies showing that even having a view of nature from your classroom window can have positive impacts for a, a student in a classroom and so yeah there's 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 a lot of research to help us recognize that nature is just not something that lives in a national park far away from our homes it's something that you know we have in our communities and can care for and cultivate in our communities and benefit from even passively as we go about our daily lives yeah and you said something that really stood out to me that even having a tree outside a classroom window can impact someone long term mm-hmm. that, that that's really powerful yeah and that's a, that's a great segue into maybe talking about some of the stakeholders that are directly involved with what you're trying to do. Uh, we can maybe dive a little bit into the secondary stakeholders as well. Sure. So ultimately, you know, the vision for a green schoolyards program that is district wide, you know, the stakeholders are all the people who um, attend or live near a school, which in most places is nearly everybody. Schools are everywhere because families are everywhere. And So whereas, um, you know, we often think first about students and teachers in schools who certainly would benefit from having outdoor learning spaces, the vision for Green Schoolyards is really that, especially in developed places, developed urban places where you may not have space to build a new park, um, you know, cities and school districts all over the country have joint use agreements and other agreements that allow the use of school grounds outside of school hours by the community. And so, you know, that can include people who don't have school age children at home, but happen to live nearby. And, you know, all across the country, you'll see after hours, maybe people come to exercise using the track at the school, or they come to have social gatherings or after school clubs and activities that happen using the amenities on a school ground. Um, And so, of course, residents are a huge, are the number one stakeholder for green schoolyards. Of course, you know, again, this is a, it's a strategy that has so many different benefits. So if you have a nature-filled green schoolyard that is adding trees to the landscape, well, you know, you, you have the interest and the partnership potentially of you know, environmental agencies in a city or a town or a county, you have many, many communities across the country struggling to deal with stormwater infrastructure and stormwater management. As developed areas have become more and more paved, uh, they need strategies to mitigate stormwater runoff that is polluting waterways. And so many schoolyards have either green infrastructure or even more heavily engineered infrastructure 
under the surface of a green schoolyard that can help retain water and improve um, water quality. Um, there are other stakeholders, of course, you know, all the school district leaders, city leaders who help set the vision and form the partnership that can drive, drive this forward. It's not, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. And so um, having leaders and decision makers who can take that vision and bring the many, many stakeholders together and ensure that, um, you know, those number one stakeholders who I mentioned, community residents have inclusive and equitable spaces to participate and help shape the design, help articulate the needs and their hopes and their own local vision for any particular site. Um, you know, it just, as you, I mean, I could keep talking. There's, there's just so many layers and, and um, growing rings of stakeholders uh, around a green schoolyard. Yeah. And I think that's what the beauty of what you're doing is it's sort of like a paying it forward where people are happier because they have these nearby them um, and it builds a better community in general. Mm -hmm. Now, are there people in the community that you find uh, or a specific type of group that exhibits traits that are more passive than others that you kind of have to go out and get them to either act on these new green opportunities or maybe have to get them to act to tell you what they want? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, my work is primarily with, you know, the teams of city leaders and school district leaders who want to tackle this. You know, this is a resource that's meant to improve the lives of an entire community. It's absolutely essential that those community members are at the table helping to co-create and co-think and co-envision what, um, what a space should be and how the people who live near the space and will use the space want to interact with it. And this is where, you know, a commitment to equity is really, really important because all throughout civic life, um, you know, cities and public institutions are often, you know, wanting to engage residents around their ideas, their preferences and their priorities. And many of the mechanisms we use to obtain that information are biased against the, the realities and the conditions that many residents face. So more and more, I think city and school district leaders recognize that, you know, you can't have um, a meeting at seven o'clock on a, on a weeknight and just say, well, if, you know, 15 people show up and speak loudly, then we know what the community wants because, you know, there are so many barriers to participating in something like that. If you're a working parent who doesn't work a nine to five job, or if you are the only adult in your household, or you have lots of children to take care of, or you don't have access to transportation to participate. And so that is something that is a really important step in the process of charting out a course for, for having a green schoolyards program district-wide and um, to making sure that the venues and the ways in which community residents are engaged and participating allows for, for everyone to participate and asking along the way, who is missing? 
from this conversation? Who's missing from this meeting? I, my own children go to a school that is a dual language school and, um, you know, thinking about language barriers. Do we have translation services? Do we have, are we using words even, even the word nature? I mean, that resonates with some people more than others. Some people, you know, it's just a, it's got every, every piece of our language has different connotations um, that will speak louder to different people. And so just being really mindful about that all throughout uh, a design process is, is really important. Yeah, that's really interesting. And out of curiosity, what would be an alternative word to nature that you use <laughs> with different communities? Oh, it's hard. Um, sometimes, like I said, sometimes just saying simply outdoors, sometimes saying, sometimes saying nature really connotes to people I don't know. It, it can sound very hippy dippy. It can sound, frankly, like very much like white <laughs> terminology. Um, we've had experiences. I've talked to um, parks and rec leaders in some cities who say, you know, if I go out and have a focus group with the residents of my neighborhood about why connect to nature, you know, they're not going to have a whole lot to say. But if I talk about having a cookout at the park, you know, that, that, that's really meaningful. That's a regular activity. That is something that in reality still involves the same types of activities, right? Sitting together with people you care about outdoors, under the trees, um, enjoying fresh air, enjoying outdoor time, but the language we use can evoke different things. And, um, call to mind different experiences. And so, um, you know, that's, that's one that we've used in as, as an alternative. Yeah. It gets, it gets, it gets complicated quickly because, you know, there's different facets of nature and time outdoors that can benefit people. So it does. Yeah. Get complicated. Yeah. People are complex. <laughs> and nature is complex. <laughs> nature is complex. And Ecology mixing is complex. the two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm sure that you do this, you you do stakeholder mapping, I'm sure, to understand yeah. what each of these groups uh, wants, what they are able to understand. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it is very complex, and I can't imagine what your stakeholder map looks like. <laughs> <laughs> it's expansive, and it, it could keep expanding. Well, Priya, I, I like to ask this question of all of my guests because it, it is such an interesting and insightful way to kind of get a glimpse of what you've dealt in with your life. Um, there's this concept of the separation fallacy, and it's something that really took hold in late 20th century where the idea that good business decisions can't possibly make for good ethical decisions and vice versa, good ethical decisions can't possibly make for the idea of like, good, profitable business decisions. Now, I believe that you and I think that this is incorrect. This is a fallacy. <laughs> um, but I would love to hear, like, have you experienced this in your line of work? And if so, are you willing to kind of tell us a little bit more about it? So I, I'll say that I am very fortunate that my work lies at the intersection of people and nature and is driven explicitly by a commitment to equity and perhaps by virtue of being in a nonprofit and public sector. I think the goal and the vision that we hold is a little different from a purely profit-driven motivation or, or need. But I think 
certainly there's there's things that have bubbled up in this space, of course, that I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're, you, you know, all right. Like examples like um, almost at almost any place where there's the nexus of people in the environment and working in that space, there's a need to think about incentives in a different way because our health is ultimately intertwined. And so for, for me, economic activity and the work, you know, I hope that young people, including my own kids, are are prepared to do in their lives and that the planet is able to sustain. That sweet spot cannot be found with only a financial lens. And I think this is why you have ideas like the triple bottom line, right, that comes up in the sustainability world, which considers not just profits, but also people and planet as part of the framework for guiding business decisions. You know, again, because I'm in a public sector space, you know, I think we're naturally oriented to think about all of those components together a little bit more. Um, But of course, there can still be really fabulous economic and business decisions when you have a strategy like green schoolyards that fulfills so many objectives um, around the health of people and all the mental and cognitive and physical and emotional benefits that are well-documented about spending time in nature, but also the environmental benefits of having different agencies and institutions that can together pool resources and invest in a solution that Um, can meet a lot of different institutional objectives. So there is good business sense (laughs) baked in there too. Yeah, absolutely. That was really well put. I appreciate you diving into that. Priya, I want to thank you very much for being a guest today. Um, I think it's so insightful and I've been personally impacted by being in nature more and my, just what I do in my everyday allows me to go out in nature and then being out in nature allows me to continue doing what I do in my everyday in my desk job. Um, so I want to say like what you're doing is really, really powerful. And uh, do you have any final thoughts before we sign off today? No, I mean, I think what you said resonates. I think, um, you know, one thing I noticed when I also worked in an office is when I looked around the office, you know, you can see, you know, everyone's looking at the screen most of the day and, you know, almost 100% of people's desktop or their screensaver are these beautiful images of nature, right? Like um, our favorite family pictures are in nature. And I think a lot of people like both of us, you know, feel in our bones what what that benefit, the benefits are that, that it provides and our time there provides. And I think we're really fortunate and I'm really fortunate to work on a on a strategy that, you know, in a world where business in particular can lead to so much specialization and really laser focus on, you know, the production of one thing or the fulfillment of one function for one purpose, that there's just something really elegant about a a strategy like Green Schoolyards or an approach like Green Schoolyards that can bring so many different institutions and people together for just so many different layers of benefit. It's been wonderful to talk to you about that today. Yeah, and it's been wonderful to talk to you about your passion as well. And again, Priya Cook, thank you very much for being here today. Um, And I'll make sure to link everyone uh, to your projects, to your work, and I'll see the rest of my listeners in the next episode.